What's up, nerds? Long time no listen is what you're saying when you clicked on this, I bet. Uh, because we're back from a short region-free hiatus with an important broadcast that the government <laughs> tried to tell you wouldn't happen, but we said it has to be done. Here's the Jason thing. Blum, David Gordon Green, <laughs> Joe Biden, Barack Obama, they all conspired to prevent you listener from hearing this episode of the show donald trump wanted taylor it swift happen, taylor swift got in the way of this episode happening it was originally supposed to come out next week they moved it up further away from halloween uh moved it back which is also up moved it from the 13th to the 6th the exorcist colon believer swings into cinemas a week ago Here's... from the time you're listening to this but we've both seen this film Here's... and had to talk about here's the thing aj moser uh that's right for the listeners at home they maybe assumed region free had just died an unceremonious death when in actuality oh no it had not we were just had to put it on the back burner until we were occupying the same space which god willing will be in just a few short weeks i truly hope i'm losing my mind (laughs) in kentucky i cannot be here a second longer than i have to but we can say we'll be back and i mean this better than ever and in person, live and uncut. Uh, well, that's why it'll be. Better. But instead, a movie so rancid came out that we had to bring the show back a month earlier than expected. You were not even planning to see this film, and I, I you know, texted you and said, "Get your ass to the goddamn theater. We got to get on the mic." I knew eventually. Sure, uh, sure, sure. That I would watch this, but movie. this was not on the region free docket at all. Given all of the things, you know, that are and have been going on, mm-hmm. when I saw those RT reviews, actually, honestly, when I saw the trailer before Oppenheimer, sure. and people laughed yeah. at it, mm-hmm. and I thought it looked miserable, right. I said, uh, DGG, I have Dance, Gavin, in Dance. the past... <laughs> That's right. I have in the past stuck up for you. I've, I've seen what you've tried to cook, and I've given you some credit. This one I cannot abide. I will not do it. I would rather just stay home and watch the original Exorcist again than go out to the cinema mm-hmm. to watch the Exorcist colon believer, the first in a planned trilogy that you and your company spent $400 million acquiring the rights to, which seems to be, now, not an expert, not a Hollywood insider, seems to be a great, great move. Seems I, to be paying off really well so far. I, okay, for any listeners who may not know, the Exorcist is like closer to my heart than my own parents i love the exorcist with all my heart my dog reagan which anyone who follows me on twitter would know is my entire personality is named after reagan mcneil of the exorcist is the highest honor i could Mm -hmm. bestow is between reagan and laurie named after laurie strode of halloween two things david gordon green has stuck his little mitts into and messed around with uh, but, Two women it would seem like he hates. Yes, exactly. But I, of course, went with Reagan because I love the Exorcist more. Um, where, where was I going with this? That you really like the Exorcist, the movie. Yeah, but where was I going with it before that? You you said listeners would have to know that the Exorcist is closer to your heart than your parents. Uh, I think what you were sure. trying to say is this: the original Exorcist I is love a movie it. that's very important right, to me. Right, right, yes. right. And so... When it was announced that in 2023 they would be making uh, a new one, let and let what history show. When they were like new Exorcist coming out, I was like, "That's pretty dumb. I don't really need that in my life." 
then they said David Gordon Green's directing it. First I said, who? And then I looked up David Gordon Green. And I saw he directed one of my least favorite movies of all time. Halloween, mm. open parentheses, 2018, close parentheses. Close parentheses. Right this... Not to be confused with Halloween, open parentheses, 19th... 2007, right. close parentheses. Or... Which, you know, also not to be confused. When did the first one come 1973, out? 1973, I believe. No. Yeah. I don't know. Um, here's the thing. Rob Zombie's 2007 Halloween, fucking so good. Uh, Great. You know what's... You know what's better than it, though? Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. I, yeah, I gotta watch it. I gotta watch it. I have the d- director's cut on DVD upstairs. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw David Gordon Green was directing it. Here's the thing. Write this one down, listeners. Halloween 2018 being a good movie is a weak man's take. That movie is trash. It is such a bad movie. It's one of the only movies I ever contemplated walking out of. I didn't even contemplate walking out of Exorcist Believer. I was having such a good time with the boys in the theater. <laughs> Halloween 20. So then I see, oh, that's the guy. And you, I made it my personal crusade to tell anyone who would listen. This movie's going to stink butt. And boy, did it ever. You know, it's weird. I feel like people are talking about it like, oh, it ruins the Exorcist franchise, all this. I think that's pretty dumb. It doesn't. The old the, the old movies still exist. You can go watch it. They just reissued it on some pretty beautiful 50th anniversary Blu-rays. I'm hoping mm, to get my yeah. hands on. I don't think it ruins anything. If anything, I'm, I actually feel a little bad for David Gordon Green. Like, that dude, he's never coming back from this one, unfortunately. Like, I do pity him a little bit. But it's, it's... I mean, it's unbelievably bad. It's Exorcist unbelievably bad. <laughs> Write that one down yeah. and put it in the print. Um, I, I, the thing that I wanted to touch on while you were running all of that down is I feel like this happened so quickly. Like, I feel like I sent you that news article about David Gordon Green making an Exorcist movie, like, less than 12 months ago. You know what, you know what I, I mean? Like, I feel like it was, like, this time last year, basically. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it was two years ago. I think it's because you and I follow the game industry so closely that, mm-hmm. like, in our brains, when something's announced, it's like, fuck yeah, I can't wait to check that thing out in five years. <laughs> five to seven exactly. years. Exactly. Yeah, right. And, like, so I am often surprised when movies from announcement to release is, like, at most 12 months. But I don't know. It probably just makes sense, you know? Yeah, and I feel like that's sort of blumhouse's thing is that they can churn shit out so quickly like (laughs) i was looking at the logo which appears before the start of this movie and now they have like all of their properties in there so it's like halloween and the purge and and all of those things and i was like they've like i was trying to remember where they started and how Mm -hmm. far they've come in such a short amount of time and like you know credit where credit is due they've made a lot of movies and more importantly i think for them a lot of money because like you know every october you can pretty much guarantee that there will be a Blumhouse movie that people will go see. They usually make more money than this. So it's either, you know, the quality or the audience's trust has been eroded so much that this thing barely makes more money than the Paw Patrol movie on its opening weekend. I, uh, Which I haven't seen yet. But, you know, same, same situation where it was just like, you know, not going to see it in theaters. But, you know, of course I'm going to eventually right. watch it. Uh, I Also, to circle back, I remember where I was going with that diatribe a few minutes ago. That's, that's great. I love The Exorcist more than life itself. Name my dog after it. Blah, 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 blah. If you would have asked me, Blake, how much do you think The Exorcist franchise is worth? It would not have been anywhere within the same zip code as $400 million. What a fucking... They guys... Jason like... Blum. 
as far as I'm concerned, an enemy of art, uh, but a, a, a genius businessman. Uh, he got scammed on this one. <laughs> I would have been like, I don't know, 100 mil well, at most if you can make some toys. Yeah, I think Universal acquired the rights for a trilogy, which sure. they say is still happening. Exorcist Believer, Exorcist Deceiver, Exorcist Redeemer. They Hard kind of, know. for how people felt about those Halloween movies, that's right, Um <laughs> This is a similar blueprint where it was like, we're going to acquire the rights to an iconic horror franchise. We're going to plan a trilogy. We're going to make them all very quickly. And at the very least, we think we'll get a return on our investment. Now, I think that 2018 Halloween movie was like a runaway success for them. Like, made way more money than anyone was expecting. Blew uh, the door open on that. So they were like, you know what? Uh, killed at the box office. Let's get Halloween Kills out the door. That movie gets punted directly to streaming because of... And you, and you might have to look this up at home. Uh, the coronavirus pandemic. The damn COVID-19 virus. Have you heard of it? Uh, so I think it's Halloween 2018. Halloween Kills drops 2021. And then Halloween ends? No, maybe maybe Kills was 2020 and ends was 2022. Doesn't matter. Um, ends gets a, a hybrid. It's on peacock premium it's on the premium cock the same day as it debuts in theaters um hold on which hold meant on. that no, the, no, the box AJ, office AJ, returns AJ, what's up aj i'm sorry we're not gonna pass by you saying it was on the premium cock premium cock yeah you know you know we both streaming AJ, services AJ, getting so unwieldy and expensive is, these days is, you you gotta pay for that cock premium i don't know how many listeners we have that know about our our, our sins of the past mm-hmm. game query but AJ, we're not 22 anymore. We both have really good jobs. We're about to have a really expensive apartment we need to That's right. pay for. You can't and go you know on what... the internet and say premium cock anymore. <laughs> in in that uh in that apartment on our television set, we will have an ad-free subscription to Premium Cock, Peacock Premium, live streaming sports. <laughs> Film and television from around the entertainment. You know one, what? Of the, one of the best subscription services you can have. You know what's going to be one of the most fucked up things in that apartment? It's not even. It's not even yeah. the most fucked up movie that's going to be in that apartment. But it's the fact we're going to have two copies of the Irreversible box set in there. That's right. It, that's right. Unbelievably terrible thing for two white men to just own the the the, the whole scaring shelf is what that'll be called. <laughs> I can't wait for the first time you bring home a beautiful new partner and you're so excited and happy. That's right. And I just am like, right. I have a few films you might want to check out. May I? This one and that one and this have one? Have you heard of Hisayasu Sato? I have a film we can sit down and watch <laughs> together. And it... I'll tell you what we won't be showing anyone in our apartment. Exorcist Believer. It's the Exorcist Believer. I don't think I want to watch this movie ever again in my life. I I actually kicked around the idea of trying to go see it today for a second time before recording yeah. this. But then I had a life to live instead. Let's get into it. Let's talk about That's it. Crazy. Let's talk about it. Because, you know what? In the first, I would say, third of this film, I think there's some cool ideas and moments. That's This is my experience with it as well. Yeah. The first act, maybe even close to the first hour of this movie, mm-hmm. um, I am close to as terrified as I have ever what? been in fuck? my entire uh, life. No, you're not. No. Listen, listen. I was so scared 
that I thought it was a good movie, but then it it all fell to dog shit. So so that's what was terrifying me. Is I was like, you know what? I'm kind of on board with this. I think I, I like this movie. I see where DGG is going. I don't think um, I was thinking it was good, but I was like, there's some cool moments in here. Like there were some a, cool a, scares early in the film. Yeah. A, th- a thing that happens to me lately that I don't think I like very much, but I've been able to sort of clamp it down a little bit, is especially with a movie that I'm watching for the very first time, there's a part of the gears turning in my head where, kind of at all times, very ambiently, like it's not something I'm super focused on, but in the back of my mind, I'm keeping a running tally on like where I think my letterbox score for a movie is going to land. Um, you know, it's not like, a, it's, it's, it's not how I view movies definitively but it is just a thing that i think about sometimes and with the exorcist believer you know i've been seeing a lot of half stars one stars i think the ceiling on that thing is like two so coming in i was like if i like this movie the seems like it's going to be a 2.5 max which is not you know not irredeemable so the first hour i'm chugging along at like a yeah at that solid two half i'm like you know what there's stuff to like here and I think where this movie ultimately completely tanks and falls apart is um, the second it turns into a, a movie in the Exorcist franchise, and then it's bad, yeah, yeah. and I don't like it. Yeah, I think, you know, I was thinking about that, too. There was a point where I was like, wow, am I, am I going to give this shit a two-star? Because a 2.5, I, I like some 2.5s. Gladiator, That's right. Gladiator's a 2.5 for me, and I like that movie. You know what I'm saying? It's just, it's a 2.5. Uh, talk right. to me recently, two point five, and I had a blast with talk to me. This movie was about a two, which is still, you know, pretty dicey. And then, yeah, by the end, it was a half star. It was, it yeah. was just couldn't do it. Uh, the Haiti stuff. Here's something. Uh, for, so I think here, so. Here's something for two white men to talk about Haiti, the Haiti <laughs> situation. Um, I think that we should about fifteen minutes into this podcast. What I think that we should do for this one is. You know, not normally what we do for region free. I think we should just run through the plot of this thing and then start talking about it because sure. I think for people who are listening, they either saw this movie and want to hear what we think about it, or aren't going to see this movie and just want to understand why it's so yeah. maligned. So I, you know, I saw it less than twelve hours ago, or twenty four hours ago. I will give my recollection of the plot summary here, and that's uh, our main character is played by Leslie Odom Juder. Junior, excuse me. His name is Victor, and he was on vacation with his wife in Haiti, his very pregnant wife, irresponsibly pregnant to be on vacation in Haiti, um, when the very real earthquakes happened. And we see that she's in peril, and we flash forward to it's just him and his daughter. I don't know where they live, and I was trying to figure that out. Like, I'm assuming it's meant to be close to where the original took place, but they never, like, explicitly say. say that. Yeah, they do. Do they? It's Virginia. Okay, that's what I figured. Um, they're living together. They have what seems like an okay but strained relationship. And one day after school, his daughter Angela wants to go play with her friend Christine. And there's like an interesting dynamic where it seems like the dad never lets her go hang out with her friends. But he's like, yeah, sure, just be home by dinner. Uh, we see the girls at school. We see them running off into the woods together. The girls disappear, right? And then we're introduced to Christine's parents as well. There's some back and forth with them and Victor. It's like, where did our kids go? Um, the kids then show up hiding in a barn that was a cool sequence and they're like sorry we ran away don't be mad at us but we came back safe and they're like yo listen up you've been gone for three days the girls are like no 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 shot 
they get home, try to reacclimate to life. Things start happening. Toenails are falling off. Uh, the girls are trying to run away. Then, you know, classic exorcist shit starts happening. They're yelling. They're saying bad words. They're throwing up things that are colors that they shouldn't be. And they try taking them to the hospital, taking them to mental wards. Um, and eventually uh, their neighbor, who's played by the lovely Ann Dowd, is like, you know what I think this is? I think this is a capital T, uh, the exorcist moment. <laughs> I think you need to get Ellen Burstyn. Uh, from the original film, uh, who wrote a book, which interesting based we're on gonna, how that first movie went. We're gonna get it. We're so gonna get like, there. That's when we kind of learned that this is a sequel to only the first movie. Uh, when you want to talk about canon, uh, so they reintroduce well, Chris. Exorcist three and four technically could have happened. Exorcist two, not definitely not. But Exorcist three and four, I think, up in the air. So we'll put a pin in our thoughts on those because i do want to come back to this eventually but i did not know do you know that they made two prequels starring stellan skarsgård as uh the priest from the first movie i had no idea about this you mean the exorcist beginnings yeah 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 there's two of them those are that's two yeah. different exorcist fours yeah Is i it, did not know yeah, that exorcist beginning and exorcist legion dominion I think it's Dominion, yeah. I did not know those movies existed. I thought 3 was the yeah, last yeah. sequel. <laughs> yeah, and there's so also the story, a TV show. Yeah, the TV show apparently People like is it. really good. Um, Maddie Chilton was recently telling me to watch it, who wrote for Kill Screen. And I was like, I trust Maddie's taste in art more than anyone. And then I was like, where do I watch this? And it was on Hulu. And I said, yeah. and then I slyly texted you, and I was like, you got, you got that Hulu And he said no, and I said, well, sorry, Maddie. Uh yeah, so the okay. Exorcist 4 is really interesting because um, Paul Schrader wrote and directed yes. the first one. Yeah, The studio thought it was too boring, so they made a different one. That movie bombed, so they put out the other one too. So both Exorcist 4s ended up coming out, and they were both like failures. That's wild. And then, yeah, there yeah. was the TV show. Um, I There's also, if you want to get into it, Satan. The Turkish Exorcist, which I have oh, not yeah. watched. I believe it's on Tubi. I really want to watch it. It's a shot-for-shot shot Turkish remake of The Exorcist. Obviously not canon or allowed, whatever, but Turkey does these. You've probably seen Turkish movie posters. However, Turkish Star Wars. in looking these up, the still images of this movie freak me out so bad. I have... Have you seen this shit? Let me see. I've seen like uh, I've seen some I've seen I think I've seen the trailer and some images, but I'm definitely familiar with it. Like I yeah. think, you know, the the most kind of lasting legacy of that film are some of the shots of the the demon because those are really well done and pretty it's terrifying. The, the little girl in these yeah. still images freaks me out so bad that I have like been dragging my feet <laughs> to actually watch this. And when I watched the trailers and a couple scenes from it, I was like, oh, it's not scary at all. But just, like, her face will play in my head when I'm like, I should finally watch that, and I can't do it. Uh, so there's also no, that one. Another pin, another pin in the little girl conversation, because I, okay. I want to circle back to that eventually okay. as well. So there's also that one. There's the Blaxploitation Exorcist ripoff that I do believe that production company was sued for. And then I think that's it. That's all of them. Okay. Uh, Exorcist 2 I've never seen. Looks fucking awesome. I kind of want to watch it. The Heretic. Exorcist 3, all-timer. If you have not watched the Exorcist goat. 3, like, 
fake fan as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'm not really concerned about Exorcist 4, but you got to watch 1 and 3 at least. You know, not relevant to this yeah. one. And you got to watch The Believer. Uh, what happens from there? We learned that th- this was so clunky, not to uh, get into our <laughs> reviews of the film, but she's like, Reagan just stopped talking to me randomly, and I don't know where she is, basically, but they're like, you know exorcisms, you wrote this book, come check out these kids. Uh, One of the worst scenes I've ever seen in a major motion picture happens where the little uh, Christian girl stabs out Chris's eyes with a crucifix, and then she's sent to the hospital for the rest of the movie, which... Wow, a lot going on there. And then they decide to do, uh, they decide to assemble the interfaith Avengers and do a homebrewed exorcism in their living room where the two girls are tied together. Things progress, and it basically gets to the point where we learn that Victor had to make the choice between saving his wife and his uh, soon to be born daughter after this earthquake in Haiti. And he said, Save my wife. And they said, Sorry, here's your kid. So the demons are taunting him about that, and they basically present them with the same choice. They say one of these girls will live, one of them will die. There's an interesting tension back and forth with who's going to do this. Uh, things get demony, things get out of control, and then Christine's dad is like, Christine, I choose you. And the demons drag her to hell in a needlessly cruel ending that this film does not deserve. Uh, and then uh, everything goes back to normal, and Chris, now blind, is sitting in the hospital and is like, hey, how'd the exercise? go uh victor won't you tell me and it's linda blair and she says it's me it's reagan and the movie ends all right well okay so all right um so where to begin i guess at the beginning because the beginning of this movie gives you a, a what would you call it a red herring it, it throws you for a loop and well, it kind of doesn't offer up like it, right. it teases a mystery. I think. Well, it, it, like a tragic back. It hints at a tragic backstory. But we also see that Leslie Odom Jr.'s character um, is presented the choice of saving his wife or daughter, but we don't see his answer. Then we get the mm-hmm. flash forward, and his daughter's alive. So we think, oh, he saved the baby. Now that might lead some prominent letterboxed users film critics <laughs> that I'm led to believe are media literate to say this is a pro life film aj i think we should talk about this up front okay it's extremely not it's i would go as far to say it has a pro-choice message in this yeah film. i think like the it's the classic uh depiction does not equal endorsements type thing i think the demons are taunting him with a yes. anti-abortion pro-life message but i want to remind the viewers at home uh, be they just you know listeners or prominently blocked letterboxed users um, <laughs> demons are bad so when demons are in a movie spouting anti-abortion pro-life sentiment that does not inherently make the film I... an anti-abortion <laughs> pro-life film well so the reason i want to bring this up is not just to dunk on david ehrlich but his take i believe is being run with and kind of being te- that was kind of like so like it, it like the first wave of reviews kind of came out and it was like guess what this movie that everybody thought looked bad it's pretty bad and then i think you know the the indie wire mm. review was sort of a megaton in the discourse yeah. that was like not only is it bad 
it's pro-life and then i think that led people to run with like it is an extremely right-wing movie which i I do want to touch on sure because i don't disagree politics and 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 mcbride's politics like they as filmmakers and producers and writers make a lot of stuff that does critically look at traditionally right-wing spaces and i want to come back to this because i think it's the bridge between the halloween trilogy and what it seems to me like they're setting up with this trilogy Mm -hmm. but like uh the Righteous Gemstones, which they both have a heavy hand in, mm-hmm. is one of my favorite TV shows on right sure. now. And that is a very explicit parody of like mega church mm-hmm. culture. And they do super interesting things with depictions of religion and faith on that show that's not just like aren't all Catholics and religious people like kooky and crazy. Haha, isn't it great to be liberals? Like there's there's an empathy to that depiction. Um, so they, they do have the capacity for that kind of writing and that kind of storytelling. They're is there are so many weird elements of this film that just stood out and were not, they were like gestured at, but not carried all the way to the finish line, especially with Christine's family, right. her parents and her sort of mega church. Like right. there was a lot of groundwork being laid there for a more explicit conversation or some sort of topic that it seemed like they wanted to touch on. That was, I don't know, maybe cut because it was deemed kind of so, too controversial. I want to circle but, or was just bad writing. I want to circle back to Christine, but just to close the loop, on the pro-life narrative on this film. I would go so far to say this film has an explicitly pro-choice message. That it, yes. at the end, we learn what we were led to believe was false. Leslie Odom Jr.'s character said, kill the fucking baby, save my wife. And then we see he is ridiculed by, again, demons uh, historically, the most evil force in the universe. That's right. Uh, which leads us as viewers to understand he is not wrong for doing this, and he should not be ridiculed for thinking that his wife's life is more important than an unborn child. Now, lowly podcaster I am, that would lead me to believe this movie <laughs> Which has a lot of messy messages about religion and uh, it just is a mess across the board. Faith in general. does have an explicit A to B closed loop. Hey, me, uh, David Gordon Green, and the trailer Parker boy, whatever his name is. uh, Danny McBride. We think it's chill if you have abortions. That's just my take having seen the movie and devoured the text provided to me. But, you know, I'm not. No, I'll I'll back you up with an even more explicit example from the film, which is the Anne Dowd character who reveals in a very very clunky, clunkily delivered monologue, but says like, hey, by the way, uh, my whole life I thought I was going to be a nun. I was getting ready to go to the convent. I was super close. And then. I fell off the wagon and had a bunch of unprotected sex and got pregnant and I decided to give it up. But that meant that I couldn't join the faith Mm -hmm. anymore. And you're like, okay, understand that. And then by the end of the film, I think she says these words exactly, which is like, I I see now why God put me on this path. And it was to be here in this room to do this exorcism. And so all of those, like... You know, the reason that I had my abortion and stuff was all part of this journey that I have been on and why I got here. And the, it was not a bad thing that ruined exactly. my life. It was a necessary chapter in my the story. The film absolutely does not ridicule Aunt Dad's character for having an abortion. It has a sympathetic view of her being like, it's totally fine. Like, don't yeah. stress on it. David, 
Ehrlich. Come, come on the, the, the demons, show, bro. The demons were pro-life, not the film. Come on the show. I'll unblock you on Letterboxd. Come on the show. We gotta hash this one out because that was a that was an L take, my dude. You're not a bad writer, yeah. but that was an L take from you. It's it's a bad movie, but let's not let's not saddle it with all of that. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So now that that's out of the where way, where to next? Okay. So let's. I can close this loop pretty pretty specifically. Why is this an Exorcist movie outside of legacy sequels are hot? And while we have these huge stars from big movies from the 70s and 80s still around, we should get them to come back and reprise their iconic characters because then we can put their names on the posters and A, get people who loved those movies into the theater. But I think more importantly, we can put those legacy films onto our respective streaming services and drive those numbers and merchandise sales up. And we can reissue these things on 4k Blu-ray for their anniversaries, yada, yada, yada. So that's like the sort of (laughs) lawyers, legal money makers reason why we would make an exorcist sequel. What brought this specific creative team to this project I am still having a tough time trying to figure out because it seems like from the construction of this film, what they understand about The Exorcist as an intellectual property is that it is when uh, little girls are scary and say swear words that they shouldn't. Because that's the one image and the one idea that this film is so centrally obsessed with that it cannot drop, that it thinks in its depiction is infinitely more compelling than what it is on screen because the ultimate problem with this movie, I think... None of it is very scary. I, <laughs> like, I agree. You know, I think Jason Blum, just as a, um, I mean, I don't know him personally. Obviously, I've never been led to believe he's uh, particularly a saint. But um, I do think as just a businessman, he, and, th- and this makes sense. This is Ringa doesn't like that. I know. There she is. I mean, I, and this makes sense, right? Like, this isn't necessarily a knock against him because Jason Blum's point like his job is not to make art it's to make money and i think Mm -hmm. he has a very cynical view of his niche which is horror and he has been very successful at it and in that respect great good job david gordon green and the trailer park boy is that the show he's from no oh what's he from What's his uh, name? Eastbound and Down, Danny McBride. Danny McBride. What do I know him Eastbound from? and Down, Vice Principals, The Righteous Gemstones. I think he was in Superbad. That must be it. That must be it. Yeah. Okay. Um, I guess I don't know what their, like, not end goal, because what is, art doesn't have an end goal. I don't understand, like, their motivation for. Yeah. Reagan doesn't either. Nor the dog, nor the character in the film. Yeah, I don't understand their motivation for doing these horror films. Because it, I mean, it it seems like they are successful at making comedies. Uh, David Gordon Green, certainly earlier in his career, dramas. Um, Mm -hmm. And watching, you know, granted, I didn't see Halloween Ends and Kills. Because, you know, life is short and I've had cancer twice. I know I'm I'm on borrowed time. Uh, But watching Halloween 2018 and this... I obviously get the sense they're not very good at making horror films or writing horror films. I also don't get the sense that they're particularly interested in in engaging with these properties and what makes them interesting. I don't necessarily Mm -hmm. think they're cash grabs because I I don't think art is made that way, right? Like, there there seems to be effort behind these movies, uh, but I think... 
there's fundamental misunderstandings about what the exorcist story is and like it's not this is the first it's not little girls are scary you know like that is this this is the first one where uh, of the four of the four movies that they've made so far this is the first one where i have really struggled to see what the attempt was halloween 2018 is sort of the force awakens of that franchise which is like we're gonna basically remake the first one but kind of in universe as a sequel to it i think that movie's totally serviceable and fine which i believe as you said a half an hour ago is a, a coward so weak man's take it is is the take that i have um halloween kills a horrible movie i should watch at least i might have to watch this tonight you have to watch i this is what i did basically watch kills one night watch end the sure. ends the next night they're like a duology kills like or sorry well kills basically picks up 30 seconds after 2018 ends and goes you know how they thought they beat Michael at the end of that movie? Just kidding. They, He's going to go on a even worse murderous rampage. And that movie is just like 90 minutes of people around the town being like, you know, the classic, the the now mm-hmm. iconic line, evil dies tonight. It is a sort of um, pre-January 6th meditation I, on right-wing mob violence where people are trying to do a capital riot, but it's killing Michael Myers. I went to see this with two of my best friends in the whole world, Casey and Johnny. And Johnny, the entire movie, kept turning to me and saying, I hope they say evil dies tonight. And I had no clue what the <laughs> fuck he was talking about. I would just turn and be like, uh, yeah, man. I finally understand the joke, but the entire they, film they was say like, it please say evil dies 250 tonight. times in Halloween Kills. And that movie is just, there's no story or structure yeah. to it. It is just the people of Haddonfield running around in the streets being like, where's Michael Myers? I want to stab him with a pitchfork and shoot him with a gun. Um, And then that movie ends with uh, Judy Greer's character, Laurie Strode's daughter, just getting fucking brutally murdered by Michael Myers, which does set up ends as a very interesting film for as much of a failure as kills is ends is like, and this is awful and I hate this and people hate this rightfully, but it is like, let's unpack the, lived trauma of the characters in the halloween universe and uh what it actually means to be a serial killer and so the, the rob zombie premise of ho- the rob zombie idea basically it, it it is the most similar to the rob zombie films of any other halloween right. movie but the the sort of setup of halloween ends is what if there was a a lonely teenage boy who was kind of inspired by Michael Myers and decided he wanted to be a serial killer in Michael Myers' image because he was so ostracized by society. And what would that mean? This is, it's not the plot of Human Centipede 2, but it's not not (laughs) the plot of Human Centipede 2. I mean, this is is kind of a thing a lot of these, like, serial killer or slasher franchises will do, is like, what if there was an apprentice or a copycat killer? Saw did it too, Um, right? Well, that is the Saw franchise. Every oh, single yeah, movie yeah. is like, what if there was another one? Uh, Spiral, the most recent before X Saw spinoff, was like a, this guy was inspired by, talk about a movie with weird politics. What if there was a Jigsaw-inspired killer who only targeted police officers? And what would we do okay. about that? Right. Uh, Halloween Ends is, is is deeply interesting and much maligned. Certainly the the best movie in that trilogy. All of that to say, <laughs> the Halloween trilogy had thoughts and ideas. It mishandled a lot of them, but it did try. The Exorcist Believer kind of, again, 
feels like it's running up to deliver some of those ideas and then drops the ball. So maybe that's what the shape of the trilogy is going to be overall, because I do think also the ending of this movie is just so bad that it really sours everything that comes before it. Like doesn't give, I don't want to say like, Oh, it doesn't give answers and doesn't like say anything, but it really just sort of is like, and that's where the story of the movie ends. Goodbye. Yeah. Also, did you, this is something I've been trying to wrestle with, you know, the, the possession movies are, fundamentally you know rotating around the idea of religion but the original Mm -hmm. exorcist i would say has nothing to do with religion it has a lot to do with faith which is not the same thing sure but like it is not obsessed with the idea of like should you be Catholic? Should you not be Catholic? Should you be... Well, there there are parts of, of the institution in that movie, right? Because isn't one of the tensions that the, you know, diocese or whatever it is, like, don't sanction the exorcism sure, for a while? Sure. And, and the, the priests have to kind of decide if they're even going to do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But what I'm saying is the movie does not seem particularly interested in the idea of religion and whether or not yeah. you should be religious. And one of the things I got from this film was it seemed very pro-religion in a way that I was not prepared for. There is more than one extended kind of God rocks monologues in this movie that's, like, deeply strange to me, especially when this movie, and this is not an original quote here. I'm pulling it from someone's letterboxed review. I wish I knew who they were. Uh, This movie is effectively a coexist bumper sticker for religion. Yeah. But Um, it also seems to be like... Christianity's pretty sick. You should maybe go to church more. Am I off base here? Absolutely not. Um, if, if you're a character in a possession movie, or even a writer of a possession movie, in some ways, like uh, the the necessity that it begets is you must believe God right. and demons are real because that's the text of the film. And so, like from that understanding. You know, you're watching all of this and you're like, okay, if they're like, there's almost always a character in one of these movies who's like, you know, God isn't real. I don't believe in all that mumbo jumbo crap. And then they see the girl with her head spinning, throwing up green or whatever. And they're like, uh, hey, could I borrow that Bible? Right. Seems like I've got some homework to do. That's a thing a lot of these bad movies will do. This one has like a more like lived in take almost of it, it like interrogates, um, how we organize faith like as a culture and a community and it's specific focus I think is on those Catholic institutions. Like there's, you know, Christine's family is very involved in this local kind of, it's not a mega church, but it's a big church. And it's one of those ones where like everybody goes, it's a whole Sunday event where like you get the kids dressed up really fancy and everyone in the church knows you and your family and like when the when Christine comes back halfway through the movie, like that that's kind of the key centerpiece where it's like, oh, God has delivered us a miracle and you know brought our missing lamb back and Christine is home and it's like everyone in this town knows who these people are because they go to the church because they dress their kids up et cetera et cetera. Then there's that other neighbor character who's like involved in I don't really understand what it was, but a much sort of smaller like um, what's the phrase tent you know what i'm talking about big tent revival um kind of thing where it's like people who just sort of believe in spirituality and healing get together and they talk about what it means to them but you bring your own faith and the structure of the thing is not as important so that's where he kind of meets up with like the um i don't think she's haitian but maybe she's like Senegalese kind of healer the 
spiritual woman who kind of comes in at the end and does some of the vinegar and bathwater yep. rituals during the actual exorcism. So like there are, there are all these characters coming from different places in their life. And then there's Anne Dowd who was going to be the nun. And I think Victor actually is our closest sort of analog to the non-believer yep. um, because early in the film, he's like, I read the books. I said the rosary it never worked. Right. So I don't believe in that kind of stuff. Didn't save my wife. Won't save my daughter. So like the, the kind of end of the movie is all of these people who have different ideas of what faith and religion are coming together to like, yeah, hold hands, do kumbaya and be like through the power of belief and faith, whatever that means to us, like we're going to expel these demons. And here's the thing. Almost. It's almost interesting. Here's the thing. I'm not an atheist by any stretch of the imagination. That shit sucks. I don't want to go watch (laughs) a big triple A movie that tells me, Hey, religion's sick. We just need the religions to get along. It's like, they're fundamentally not. All of them are bad. Mm-hmm. I'm saw every single one, even the ones I don't fully know much about, are all bad. <laughs> like, okay, that's an extremely reductive take. But you know what I mean. Like, I don't want to watch an exorcist movie where I walk away being like, are they telling me I should go back to my, like, fundamentalist Christian church? And this movie kind of is. <laughs> <It's> like, yeah, the, <laughs> like... the, 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 I think overall... Um, well, actually, leave, leaving all of its legacy connections to the Exorcist franchise aside, I think the weirdest thing about this movie that I still can't crack is it's the writing and depiction of that religious family, of Christine so, and her parents and their church. Because so much is going on there, and I don't understand what they're trying to say. So, the, Christine's family. There's been, I think, a lot of criticisms about the idea of, like, what do you do to make a new Exorcist? We had one scary girl. Now we have two scary girls. Two scary. I actually girls. think the idea of a dual possession is kind of cool. I, I, it was interesting. Yeah. the like part where their heartbeats sync up and they were like that tension right. that they were getting to of like what happens to one girl happens to the other, and if right. like one you know interesting. So, sure, I'll give it to them. So uh, Vincent and sorry, just edit this down. I'm just pulling up a character list. Sorry. Uh, and and Dowd's character's name is Anne, by the way. <laughs> Great, good work there. I love that. Uh, Victor and Angela Fielding are very mm. fleshed out characters. They have a beginning, middle, and end to their arc. Now, if you've seen the posters, you might think that is only fifty percent of the equation. There's another girl, two exorcists, two furious. Uh, I don't know what happened in the making of this film. Uh, the other character, Catherine, the other possessed girl, and her family. Mm. There are plot points there. There are ideas. They are not characters. They are in this movie for such a short amount of time. They are not fleshed out. They do not even have last names. <laughs> That's how much they don't matter to this That's movie. That's for the sequel where they're going to tie it back to the I mean, most random side character from the original Exorcist. I, like the fucking yeah. well, uh, a hot dog vendor on the street. Well, look, everyone but Ellen Burstyn and Linda Blair from that film are dead. Um, mm. but they so don't matter, which is, if, if that was how the film was originally written, uh, that's bad writing, but it really feels like large chunks of the story were thrown out. Um, where in the I, I, production that happened, I don't know, but this movie almost certainly had a version where the, I'm sorry to put it this way, but the white family 
was much more fleshed out because they are shown to be not uh, outward racist, but definitely harboring some amount of racism. Movie not mm-hmm. interested in that. Uh, their religion, we have an extended scene where uh, we see their church. We see that they are a yeah. family that goes to church. Certainly not delivered upon at any point in the film. Uh, also, they put that little girl in the fucking poster. She's one of the stars of the film. <laughs> she is nowhere in this movie except she's in the very That was beginning. like the scene in the trailer exactly. where she's walking down the aisle of the church. Yeah. It, it just. So when you watch this movie, it really feels like half of it. It's a two hour movie, but you feel like half of it's missing. I'm like, you yeah. know what? Just tack on another hour to this movie so I can understand at least who this character is. But it's it's wholly unimportant to the film, which makes the entire film feel half done. By the time you watch the credits, you're like, so why was the other girl there? Why didn't we just do the version with Victor yeah. and his daughter, whose name Angela? I don't Angela. know. Yeah, why? Maybe, maybe it's maybe it's just because the most time is spent on this. But I do think the best thing the movie had going for it was victor and angela and their relationship because like at least the drama and the tension that they set up there is interesting those early scenes where like you're seeing what their home life is like and getting their relationship like were at the very least interesting and compelling stuff and then when she goes missing like you feel for the guy because they showed you kind of what he went through to bring her into the world and he kind of talks about i think eventually or maybe this is what the demons are yelling at but like he never expected really to be a father didn't want to be a father, never expected to be a single father. And so it's kind of like you see him where he's like trying his best to be a dad to this girl that yep. he does love. But it's like it's hard for him and on him. And all of that stuff's interesting. And then when she goes missing, like that's his entire world shattered. Exactly. So it's like that's the it's it's the most basic thing the movie has to do. But it does do it well, and, I think. And like it's not scary, but the the drama and the worry there was the stuff that kind of I connected with the most where I was like, I don't feel scared, but I do feel really bad for this guy. And like, that sucks. And you can totally imagine a version of this movie that probably existed where the film was bouncing, where the film was bouncing back and forth between those families more often Mm -hmm. to flesh out the other family. Cause all this stuff with Leslie Odom Jr.'s character and his daughter, like that stuff's, you know, baseline interesting. It is engaging as a story. And it nope. makes you propels. I feel you. like I'm watching a movie. Exactly, yeah. it propels you as a viewer to watch the rest of it. But it's also equally odd that the other family is not part of that equation. Yeah. So this the setup for the possession and the haunting. Let's dig into that because it's Angela. I think comes to Christine and it's like we're going to devise this scheme where I tell my parents I'm going to your house. You tell your parents you're going to mine. And we're going to go in the woods and do a Ouija board so I can talk to my mom's ghost who, like, I've been dreaming about and I think is a real spirit. And I want you to believe in it. Which is like, sure, kids do that kind of stuff. I get it. Um, Once the girls go missing, one of the more interesting scenes in the movie to me is when these families come together for the first time at the police station. Mm -hmm. And Victor's kind of like... Here are the facts. Here are the details. I didn't even know our daughters were friends. She told me that they were going to do homework together. Like, Mm -hmm. she wouldn't lie to me. I don't know where they are. The other family comes in, especially the dad, is just like, you're fucking lying. Your daughter is, like, you know, a bad influence on my kid. They're going to hang out with some homeless people who I hate and think the cops are bad for not getting rid of. Like, it just, like, the, the... First hint of danger, all of this guy's walls come down, and he's like, I'm a racist, I hate homeless people, 
I think the console only exists to serve me. Okay, here's the thing. Uh, I also think uh, the creators of this film hate homeless people. <laughs> uh, look, I've seen the Halloween 2018 trilogy. I can guarantee you that they do. Uh, yeah, there's a about 10 second moment in this film, too, with homeless people that is uh, bad David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And, and the whole mental institute thing where, like, before he kind of fully realizes that his daughter is being possessed, he's like... You know, he doesn't say this, but he's like, I got to check my daughter into the loony bin. Yeah. Doesn't that suck? And it's yeah. like, all right, buddy. Like, a second draft would have been helpful yeah. there, D- basically. David, uh, David, I'm I'm around. I'm available. Yeah. Send me the scripts, brother. I'll help. You can, Yeah. Just, like, let me, let me offer some insight into being like, so at the end of the movie, um, when you say only one girl can live and one girl should die, when we see one girl living, you should at least confirm that the other one's actually dead because this movie doesn't do that. And I think that was an obvious mm-hmm. hedged bet that they had there. Like, truly the weirdest scene, since we were talking about the dad and the parents, like, I felt like this movie was sort of setting them up for some sort of reckoning or, like, failure, crisis of faith, whatever you want to call it, which it does kind of get to in the moment where... At the very end, the exorcism has basically reached its peak, and there's that, you know, choice presented to them where it's like, you have to choose one of the girls. The dad is ultimately the guy who breaks, and, like, as everyone in the room is holding it together, he runs in and is like, Christine, I choose you. I want to save you. And I guess what the demons meant were like, oh, you chose Christine. Cool. She's coming to hell with us. Yeah. And then we don't learn what happened to Christine or this family. There's a very weird shot of the two parents meeting at a diner. And I guess the implication is that, like, this has put a strain on their relationship or their marriage. But we don't see them talk to each other. And we certainly don't hear what they say to each other. So it sort of is just like, (laughs) like, yeah, like you were saying, it once Christine's side of the story mm-hmm. is no longer necessary to kind of tell in regards to the more interesting half, it just drops it, which right. is, you can't do that. Like it's you have to, bad. you have to finish telling your story. It's bad storytelling. <laughs> um, speaking of bad storytelling, we ready to talk about Ellen Burstyn? Yeah, let's fucking do it. I mean, up, up at, a, at about the time she comes into the movie in this episode, I think we should dig into that. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, you love the movie. I'm going to let you go first. And then I have stuff I want to say. So you you sure. go. You run. Frankly, AJ took AJ took his headphones off. So I'm going to punish him for doing this. Instead of sitting with me, engaging in the conversation, he's going to have to listen to me not do that. He's either going to have to edit around this or, heaven forbid, leave it in. So, dear listener, let's assume he's leaving it in. Um, it's a bad movie. Not good. I had a good time, though. Here's what I did. I went to Steak and Shake with me and my boys. Went to Steak and Shake. Uh, I had the uh, garlic burger, garlic butter burger, whatever the hell. That shit was crazy good. Um, Fries, of course. Chocolate milkshake. I'm lactose intolerant, so you know I had fucking crazy diarrhea after that. Um, And then we went to see the movie. Well, we hung out in the parking lot a little bit beforehand, like teenagers. But, you know, we're 29, 30 years old. Oh, AJ's backstory's over. I did not talk about Ellen Burstyn because you left. I know. Okay. Um, so. The, the dogs are barking. So um, Ellen Burstyn. Let me know if I'm over speaking here. Possibly one of our greatest living American actors. That's right. Uh, a, a wonderful method actor. Um, been in, you know, obviously The Exorcist. 
was in Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore. Been in all kinds of great things. Um, she she returns. I, I think, you know, the story has come out that her, her check for this movie, she donated. Which, you know, get your bag. I think she played Blumhouse like a fiddle in that regard. I do find it a bit disappointing that ostensibly one of Ellen Burstyn's final performances of her life, she's 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 old as shit, dear listener, is going to be this film and its sequels. I, I find that mm-hmm. very upsetting. Um, I, I, I would not presume to speak for her. I wonder if she finds that upsetting. <laughs> Maybe she'll try to uh, try to sneak her way into a more prestigious film before she uh, she passes away. Um, OK, so like I, I'm not particularly a lore hound. I am not particularly one interested in the sanctity of franchises. Should be clear as someone who loves the Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil films and the Resident Evil series equally. Um, Not equally. I love the games way more, but nonetheless. Mm, I don't know about that. Ellen Burstyn's character is very strange, though. I think in the way it seems to not actually know who Chris McNeil, uh, the Ellen Burstyn plays, it doesn't seem to know who Chris McNeil is as a character. Um, it like it literally feels like in this movie, Ellen Burstyn walks in, and it's not the character from the first exactly. movie. It's Ellen Burstyn, the actress from the exactly. Exorcist so movie. in the Exorcist, the original, um, Chris McNeil is an actress, um, moderately famous actress, um, who is in Georgetown and the DC area filming a movie. She is a single mother. The father, they're estranged. They're no longer longer together. She's raising this young girl um, who starts, you know, going through strange mental symptoms, a lot of aggression. Uh, Crucially, Ellen Burstyn is not, sorry, Chris McNeil, I do know this character's name, is (laughs) not a believer. She is doing everything in her power to stick with science here, to figure out what is going on. Uh, Finally, one of the, the... you know, cruxes of this movie, uh, conflicts of faith. She has to turn to Catholic priests who are also going through their own conflicts of faith. And that's the whole point of the fucking movie. It's not really about possession. You know, if anything, Reagan McNeil is a catalyst, <laughs> not the central mm-hmm. focus of the movie. Anyway, that movie ends with they are leaving Georgetown uh, because Chris McNeil is a celebrity. She does not want tabloids following them, so no one knows that this had happened. Somewhere in those last 50 years... Uh, According to David Gordon Green. Somewhere in those last 50 years, Chris McNeil... I don't know. Maybe she was no longer getting the job she was once getting. She decides to write a tell-all book about what happened. I... Okay, we'll accept that. We'll accept that that happened. Fine. However, I Chris McNeil is a loving mother who, in the first film, does everything in her power to help Reagan. Mm-hmm. Like, turning to... I mean, if you know anything about the history of possessions, and frankly... Or the history of exorcism, and frankly, why it's not really a thing anymore, is because uh, we know more about mental health. And we have better treatments for those going through mental health issues people have died because priests were involved and exorcisms were done rather than them getting the proper mental health they needed 
or the mental health treatment they needed. Uh, Ellen Burstyn's character, rightfully, Chris McNeil, in the original film, exhausts every option, every right and rational option science has available before she finally breaks down, goes against her belief system to get an exorcist. That shows remarkable strength as a mother to just, like, go to the ends of the earth for your child. Uh, so then she writes a book in the next 50 years and completely destroys her relationship with her daughter. <laughs> that, and it's, like, the reason her daughter is... Estranged. And, like, in high, like hit herself from the face yes. of the earth is kind of how it's presented in this movie. It's like, oh, if only I hadn't written that book that... Exactly. I should have known she wouldn't... And, and I wouldn't have wanted to write. Exactly. Exactly. This... this so anyway, that's so what happens. Um, so uh, Anne Dowd's character, people are re- Anne Dowd, an actress I think is just great. Uh, people are really pr- praising her performance in this movie, but I find it really strange. It is just a normal performance. It's I, not particularly okay. strong in my Anne, opinion. Anne Dowd uh, gives one of my favorite performances anyone has ever given on the television program the leftovers sure um multiple monologues that you know cut through my soul and so watching her act on screen with a you know the sort of dewy-eyed delivering monologues is kind of all this movie asks her to do i'm like sure Sure. And Dow could do that. It's sure. like showing up to sure. fucking play a baseball game hungover, and it's like you have to stand there and you have to catch the balls sure. and throw them to the second baseman. She can do it. So, Ann Dowd has read Chris McNeil's book, uh, tells Leslie Odom Jr.'s character, go seek this woman out. Leslie Odom Jr.'s like, on it, bro. Uh, Ellen Burstyn tells Leslie Odom Jr. his whole background. Reagan's gone, blah, blah, blah. Um, she comes into the fray. This is where things get really fucking dumb. Uh, can, can we talk about uh, the one line that I think people are also taking out of context in bad faith in this movie? Oh, sure. Which one? The, uh, during their first conversation where, like, I oh. think the movie does present this yeah. as a joke. So... Where she says, the priest didn't let me watch the original exorcism, probably because I wasn't a member of the patriarchy. Right. Which is like, the, hey, folks. The character is making a joke. Right. It, it's okay. Right. You don't but have to put that on Twitter. This will circle back to an issue with the film. Uh, yeah, I was pretty checked out mentally by this point. I actually <laughs> missed that line. Did not hear that line. Didn't even know it was in the movie. You would have surprised yeah. me just now had I not watched the Red Letter Media uh, review okay. last yeah. night where they talked about it. Uh, and they also found it pretty ridiculous. It's like, well, yeah, they wouldn't let you in. You're not a priest. <laughs> like, but... Whether or not the film is written as a joke, it gets to a pretty interesting point in this movie. Ellen Burstyn shows up, and the the kids are reacting to it, which is fine. The demon has some amount of omnipotent knowledge to know that the mother of a former possessed girl is here. That's fine. Uh, she goes to... Well, she says explicitly, I know you. Well, right, but not when she originally... She encounters Leslie Odom Jr.'s daughter. She doesn't say that. Yeah. Uh, but... That character reacts to her. Then she goes and breaks into the house of the other family, essentially. Goes up to... Well, there's like... You know what? You know what? They never fucking... I guess it's just kind of that, like, the girl was going demon mode. Because they yeah. say... Um, 
so Angela's been kind of checked into the hospital and is under the constant watch of the doctors, and she's in this, like, glass room. Mm-hmm. She bumps up against the glass and yells, and it's scary. And then they're kind of like, well, wait, wasn't there another girl? And they say, oh, they're treating her at home. And, yeah. and so, Chris McNeil has that line that's like, that's never a good idea. And they go to the house, and it's in shambles. So she doesn't really break in, but it's in shambles. So Okay, so she walks up the stairs where the other girl is. What's her name? The white girl. Christine. Christine. She goes up there. And Christine's like, oh, shit, what's up? And Ellen goes, we've the, met before. Before, yeah. But they haven't. Because. They don't. No, hold on. They haven't met before <laughs> because the demon in the exorcist is Pazuzu. Yeah. The demon in Exorcist Believer, which there's a Polygon article about how much of this demon was cut out of the film. Okay, but good. I wanted to talk it has a canonical name. It is a quote-unquote real demon Lamashtu they haven't met before because they're two separate entities and well there are there are 50 years between those two movies that we don't know about so maybe sure. she went on a, a sure. demon tour of because, the country that was just shaking hands and rubbing yeah we forgot to talk about how Ellen Burstyn is also now a possession scholar she has studied mm-hmm. this possession in every religion over the last 50 years but we as viewers are led to believe They've met because this is the demon in Reagan, though they're not because this film's demon is completely different with a different name. They've never met before. Yeah, I I I didn't like consume too much about this movie going in beforehand because I really did want to go in at least with like not tainted assumptions about. So I didn't read like a lot of the scathing reviews outside of Ehrlich's and the production drama behind it. But the one thing that I did kind of read because I found it fascinating was that article about, we built this awesome rubber suit for the demon and you can sort of see it in the back of one of the trailers blurred out. And then there are flashes of the mask. But we had this awesome sequence with the demon that we cut out because I guess we wanted to like leave it for the sequels or not nail down this specific demon, which sucks. Um, So I was definitely disappointed by that is all I wanted to say. That sucks. If you have a cool demon suit, show it it in the fucking movie. And crucially, it's not Pazuzu, which is a separate demon. Uh, However, this is where I want to circle back to this patriarchy thing. Oh, okay. Which, if it was a joke, sure. I don't remember the line in the film, so I can't speak to how it was delivered. But they didn't let me watch the exorcism, actually, probably because I wasn't a part of their damn patriarchy. Right. Sure. The verbatim line. They, she also wasn't let in because she's not an exorcist. However, That's correct. she walks into this room. <laughs> this is maybe what I would like to if I'm giving it the most credit possible. This is. Yeah, I, I would. If we think this was intentionally done, it's the funniest moment of the film, but it was probably just a stupid moment. Uh. Ellen Burstyn's not an exorcist. She has no capabilities to go in here. She's not equipped to handle the situation she has put herself in, which is why she was not allowed in the room in the first film. And so she goes in here to confront this demon, the dumbest thing she could possibly do, and ten seconds later, uh, a crucifix is stuck through both of her eyeballs because she shouldn't be there, which... Maybe that is an intentional joke, in which case it's funny. It is also probably they only had Ellen Burstyn for a week and they needed to quickly get her out of the film so they could do this and have her confined to a hospital bed and shoot that real quick. Uh, But there's no reason this old bitch should be in here, frankly. (laughs) Like (laughs) this, this is one of the most 
astonishingly bad scenes I have ever it's, seen in a movie. It it's unbelievable. Is horrendous. It's unbelievable. And first of all, like this is a totemic, probably close to one hundred year old actress <laughs> okay, on screen being <laughs> being stabbed in the eye with a crucifix, wearing fake little jelly implants, going. Ah, my eyes! My eyes! Like, there's fucking blood. Like, it's like, it's trauma-level shit. Like, if it was in a James Gunn movie, I would be like, alright, sure. It's insane that the movie is playing this as, like, a serious, yeah. tragic thing. It's it's on its face. Literally. You can't her, do that. On her face. You, cannot, you cannot stab an old lady in the eyes and right. squirt out pop, Pop-Tart jelly for dramatic effect. Like, it... And then, um, you, you know, you finish, and then I'll say I'll say my piece. Look, the, the original Exorcist still exists. I do not give a shit about. Okay, yeah, we're we're going the same. We're in, going the same place. In the grand scheme of things, I don't give a shit about this movie. I'm gonna. I will never think about it again. Probably in a week, um, until Exorcist Deceiver comes out, and my dumbass goes to see that one too. That's right. So, like, it, it didn't ruin anything. It's not an insult to the franchise. Who gives a fuck? This is insulting to Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> this is yeah. frankly well, okay. despicable treatment of Ellen the, Burstyn. The the line that I wanted to draw was to a very oft repeated piece of criticism about the Star Wars sequel trilogy, sure. which I think is two great movies and a very bad movie that drops the ball. And so now people refer to that trilogy overall as a complete failure and, sure. and three bad movies, which it's not. Um, the thing that people say about those movies is that it was made to like make star wars fans angry and to just Mm -hmm. kill off the iconic characters in a disrespectful way as a fuck you to the fans which can you stop and think about what you just said for 30 seconds and realize why it's not true whatever but you know people's big problems with those movies and the last jedi in particular is its portrayal of the character of luke skywalker and how it's like this is how this character would never act and then they treated him disrespectfully and killed him off uh, just because nonsense, bullshit, not how movies work. Right. Um, the most I've ever believed those people was watching this scene in the exorcist believer, because it's like, I guess the only reason for that scene is shock value to try and so get you invested into being like, Whoa, if this demon can kill Chris McNeil, it's gotta be a big deal. Right. So there's, there's a few things going on in this and you know like in its back half the movie really starts reference sucking sucking but also referencing the exorcist um pretty pretty heavily um in the same scene uh the character also says one of reagan's or alludes to one of reagan's famous lines um after Reagan kills, I can't remember his name, but the the director of the film Chris is working on in the original film, um, she assumes his voice and speaks to Chris and says, do you know what she's done? Your cunting daughter. Um, in this film, uh, when she goes up to the girl's room, one of the first things the girl says to Chris is, you know, something, something, your cunting daughter in the same voice. And it's just like your cunting daughter is burning in hell. Yeah, with, with more or less the same voice. I believe this scene, which I think was made more or less because they didn't have much time with Ellen Burstyn. They needed 
just, you know. Uh, but I also believe the crucifix stabbing is a reference to Reagan masturbating with a crucifix, which is a very shocking, hard-to-watch scene in which, I guess I'm sorry, uh, content warning here for any listeners who haven't seen The Exorcist. This is pretty horrific. Um, Reagan violently stabs herself in the crotch with a crucifix. This is the scene's bloody stabbing with a crucifix moment. It just happens to be uh, through the eyes of one of the greatest living actors we currently have uh, so that she can be put on a set with a hospital bed and they can finish her scenes in probably an afternoon. Uh, Yeah. We'll talk about some other references of the movie because there's a bunch of bad ones and one fucking awesome one. Uh, But that's what I think the scene is supposed to be uh, pointing towards is the uh, crucifix masturbation, which is the thing. It's bad. Just don't do it. Like, you know what? Just I love the exorcist. You know who people remember from the exorcist? Linda Blair. You know what we get by the end of this movie? Linda Blair. You know what this movie didn't need? Chris McNeil. I yeah. love Chris McNeil's performance in The Exorcist. No one talks about it. We talk about Linda Blair. Ellen Burstyn's performance. Yeah, sorry. As Chris sorry. McNeil. We, no one talks about Ellen Burstyn. <laughs> like, you know, like, she's great in the movie. We don't need her back. You know what I'm saying? Like, if Max von Sydow is still alive, we wouldn't need him in this movie. Well, the, the you know, I do want to uh, toss them one minor line of credit is that they didn't try like a oh, sure. AI Max von Sydow right. ghost right. on a TV or something just being like you know exorcisms are very I bad just, and here's what you do to avoid the them. idea of Ellen Burstyn being who's getting people into the theater to see this is dumb to me because I don't think she's not what people are so attached to I I, I, uh, I changed my you know how you can kind of change the poster yeah, on yeah. letterbox for your movies there's there's a poster for this movie that's just Ellen Burstyn kind of like looking through a stained glass window and it's a very funny poster considering what let me see really quick uh, movie I guess if you just go to yeah, my I review on Letterboxd specifically <laughs> like yeah like it's so it's, she, it's just doing like legacy sequel exactly shit for for the reason that all of those movies do and them, then and it's bad and then does just something so embarrassing with the character that's just like it's it's in such poor taste for like, like ulti- ultimately in a vacuum, this is hilarious. What kills the movie for me? <laughs> yeah. Like, it's just so laughably yeah. a horrible decision for making a movie that the film, for as much as I thought other parts of it were at the very least interesting, can never recover from this ultimately fatal yeah. stumble or stabbing through the eyes. It's just like absurd on its face yeah. and completely destroys any interest that I have in the rest yeah. of the movie. And the rest of the movie basically is just this extended exorcism sequence which that we get again, to somehow too quickly and yet it it's like just over halfway through the film like I don't feel It's just not scary. Yeah, I, and you know there there's like I don't know how to explain it because the ramp up is to the full blown possession exorcism thing feels so poorly handled you know with the original film there was such a dread like you had you know it began with like um with reagan just kind of cussing and then you know you got the pee scene and it's it's slowly building and building and depending on the cut you watch you got the spider walk where things are going crazy and shit's flying around the room and with this it's like the girls go missing one of them slams on the the window one of them pees the bed. 
all right, now she's stabbing her eyes out. Let's exercise them. Like, it's it's very rapid in terms of what we see well, to get I, the yeah, girls there. I think the, the church thing oh, is yeah. probably the biggest moment there, but, like, sure, and that, kind, that, kind of a dud. <laughs> I yeah, I forgot about that scene. It was fucking, it was so dumb. The body of mud. The body of mud. The body of mud. It's like, I'm, so, I'm sorry, 12-year-old girl. Shut shut up, please. <laughs> and all she did was, like, trash the... Um, yeah trash the lectern and douse herself in the church wine and yeah. walk through the aisle like ultimately i guess you know brings a lot of shame on this prominent family well, in the church but like yeah didn't hurt anybody i think <laughs> i think that's also a reference to um reagan in the uh, first film is very into paper mache and she mm-hmm. uh uh there's a callback to that with the uh, yeah what's it called well she what are those things called Oh, uh, yeah, what are those? I don't know. I really like the shot in the beginning with it. Yeah. It's really cool. What the fuck are those things called? I don't know. Tr- t- truth tellers? What? Yeah, what are yeah. those? I hadn't thought about those in a while. It's hard to, like, it's hard to look up yeah. what the, th- where you, what the fuck are those called? Um, so I, I think that scene is supposed to be somewhat of a reference to Reagan uh, vandalizes a church with, um, with paper mache. And this is mm-hmm. your scene of a little girl kind of running amok in a church i think that's what that's supposed to be i don't really know well that's like what this movie is doing right yeah. is it's like there are all of these iconic big scary sequences that are from the first movie and we don't want to just remake them and redo them because everyone's seen that so what we want to do is sort of remix them in a yeah. way that's modern and, and and whatnot that's not a fault of this movie on its face because that's fucking that's what sells these days and that's just what you have to do but you can you can make it better than this. well they did make one fucking awesome i want to talk about two big other references in the movie one is the vomit which i think is fucking goofy in the original movie uh but they at one point girl looks up at the ceiling, vomits, and opens a portal to something. It's really... What un- was going on It's there. really unclear. Yeah. It was, it's somehow dumber than the vomit in the original one. However, the one I thought was fucking rad, and I was fully on board with, was famously in The Exorcist, Reagan McNeil's head spins in a circle. It's very creepy. Uh, actually, that's the cunting daughter. Well, it happens twice in the movie, but the first mm-hmm. one is her head turns around 180 degrees, and she says, "Do you know what it is? You're cunting daughter." So that's actually where that moment happens. And then later, during the exorcism, it spins in a 360. Uh, none of the girls' heads turn around in this, but a Catholic priest who is uh, a part of the Avengers assembled here, uh, his head turns a full 360, breaks his neck, and that kills him. And I was like, "That's mm-hmm. that's a cool reference." That's a cool callback. I was really into that moment. Because, like, you know, what what's the thing, if you haven't watched The Exorcist in 50 years, what's mm-hmm. the thing you remember? Someone's head goes all the way around. And they the totally, back of their, they yeah. flip the script on it. You're thinking one of these little girls are going to do it, and it doesn't happen. It's a very fun, like, way to reference the old movie in an unexpected way that isn't, got, I, got your I eyeballs, liked, I, here's the line from the I, movie, you know. I loved the visual. I loved the moment. But earlier when I described the movie as uh, needlessly cruel and that it never mm-hmm. kind of deserves that, this poor priest, man, he shows up. He's like, he's hey, scared shitless. folks, this is a bad idea. We should not do this. He's in his car kind of having a breakdown afterwards. And then Leslie Odom Jr. like comes out halfway through the like at halftime of the exorcism and is like, hey, 
you know, the fight's in there, buddy. Stop being a pussy. The guy's like, there's like a fucking suit up scene where the guy puts on like his priest robe and his <laughs> necklace and everything. And then he walks, yeah, he walks in with the Bible and he is helping for a little bit. And then, yeah, like the, the visual of his spine and his neck bone rocks. It was good. You know, that's so, kind of, that's what you show up for. So one of the little girls dies. The priest dies. And at this point, the movie had the potential to do something so interesting for the sequel. And I really thought they were going to go for it. And I was like, you know what? It's not redeeming it, but this is going to be cool. Well, that's the third one. The Redeemer. Thank you. Thank you. It's also one of Norma Jean's albums. The one everyone likes. With the Anyway. <laughs> um, I, I like a lot of their albums. Uh, I guess they're canceled now, though. Whatever. Anyway. Um, two corpses in this house. They call the cops because dead bodies. And I'm like, oh, my yep. God, these people are getting fucking arrested. Right. And I was like, that's cool. This is going to be cool because you know what should happen when people uh, try to get exorcists for their children? They should be arrested for child neglect. And I'm like, you got two murdered corpses in here and it's all your fucking fault, folks. And I was like, they're arresting them. This movie is ending with these people going to jail. But nope, that is too good of an idea. And instead, everyone lives happily ever after. It's all sunshine and roses until they figure out what they want the sequel to be about. And then they're going to introduce some conflict. Dude, but like, could you imagine how wild that it, it would be if it was like cops walk in and do a cop's job where Dude, it's like. I'm on, I'm on board with you. Yeah. I, I genuinely thought that was the same thing, too, because the police are a constant presence throughout mm-hmm. this film. And that Halloween trilogy if it was about anything ultimately was kind of about the role of police in a slasher movie. And I think what this, what I was hoping this movie would kind of set up as a mirror to that interrogation of authority is like, what's the role of institutional religion in a kind of possession movie. And like, you know, the capital C church and like organized faith, like what, what do those structures mean in a world where, Mm -hmm people are actually getting possessed by demons kind of on the reg. Um, And those scenes with the cops, yeah, like that, they're just the ones that stuck out to me as like, what are you doing? What are you trying to say with this scene where the cops are like, because the the sort of main, and I I don't think she's ever given a name, but the kind of main cop in this movie is that like young-ish woman Mm -hmm. who is like throughout the film, never not helpful like just sort of trying her best and is like empathetic to the parents strife even when perhaps they don't deserve it because they're acting belligerently um she's just kind of like we're gonna find your daughters here are the facts about like statistically where they went and how long they would be gone and and who led them and all of that stuff is just like very vanilla and cut and dry and so it you know like Like, again, just sort of is like the movie's just not interested in the things that would have been more interesting. However, perhaps the most realistic thing in this film is that cops show up, don't help anyone and don't do their job and then leave. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Like two dead bodies. Okay, cool. Yeah. yeah. Seems kind of complicated. I'm out. Uh, Yeah. And then just like not um, because during the exorcism, Angela's heart rate flattens she's like you know we're led to believe that like she dies and then there's like the sort of demon gotcha Mm -hmm. reversal but we don't like learn what actually happened we just like because this is the thing is like 
you know, you go into this movie and you're like understanding pitch as the first of a third trilogy. So you're kind of looking for what's the second one going to be about. I'm assuming it has something to do with like Christine and where she is, because maybe the one good scary sequence in the movie is kind of after she's taken by the demons and is back in that like underwater tunnel thing. And the, you know, ghosts drag her to hell or whatever it is. Like that was cool. That was good. But um, what did it mean? If there's one mercy this this movie bestows upon its viewer, because I'm sitting there the whole fucking film, I'm like, God damn it, I'm going to have to sit through these credits for the post credit scene. Because <laughs> I just know. I just know. I had not seen, she's in, she is in the letterbox credits, but I had not seen Linda Blair in the credits. I didn't know. Yeah. I, I... But I was sitting there watching this movie, and I'm like, fuck, I'm going to have to sit through these goddamn post credits, because there's no fucking way Linda Blair isn't going to show up. And the mercy this film grants you as a viewer is it's not a post credit scene. It's the final shot of the film. Uh, yeah, Reagan, she shows up. Uh, it, inexplicably. I, I guess, like, someone would have probably told her, hey, your mom got mega injured, even though you've disappeared off the face of the earth, and no yeah. one knows where you are. Um I mean, I think I, at some point early into the movie, I just knew, I just knew it had to happen that like, I was not offended by it. I was not upset. It was just a thing that was inevitably going to happen. On the one hand, I simultaneously think it sucks and it's cool that they got Linda Blair back. She has famously not wanted to be associated with Exorcist Projects post-Heretic. She famously has not been much of an actor in the past few decades and is instead focused mm. i believe on um animal rescue i believe she runs an animal sanctuary she only occasionally pops up in things these days um you know she i be also believe was permanently injured from you know all respect to the big god william freakin he was not he was a direct rest in power rest in power God did him a mercy by killing his ass before this movie came out or stole us from some amazing quotes about it. Um, That's right. He was a director of his time, which is to say not a very ethical one and did permanently injure uh, Linda Blair's back. And I believe that has been something she has had to deal with her entire life since then. And it's not really want to be associated with this. So I simultaneously think it sucks and it's cool. 50-50 both that they got Get her back. back. They got her back. And I'm like, ah, why'd you come back? I always admired that you said, no, fuck this shit. But also, that's my girl. I love Linda <laughs> Blair. Uh, I personally have no thoughts about the fact she shows up. I just, it happens. Uh, the thing. The, the movie doesn't. It's yeah. like. Well, <laughs> it does. And the thought is. Guess who's back for the sequel? Go check the letterbox credit. She's confirmed. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, like, I think the worst thing this movie could do, the sequel, Exorcist Deceiver. Deceiver. Hardly know her. I hardly know her. I think the, the, the worst thing this movie could do is repossess Reagan. I Ooh, yeah, that would be... That is not, but like, inevitably, she is going to be a major force in the new movie. Um, what's what's worse, repossessing Reagan or uh, Chris McNeil gets possessed this time and they have to exercise her? Oh my god, and the demons could they put Ellen Burstyn through that? Yeah, the demons come out of her eyes. Uh huh. I don't know. I mean, what do you think they're gonna do? Like, Reagan's gonna 
I mean, she's going to have, I, like, a, a horribly offensive backstory like they gave Laurie Strode in Halloween 2018. Oh, for sure. Where it's like, oh, she's just an alcoholic mess now. Also, she built Fort Knox in her house, but she can't hold a job. That makes fucking now sense. She, and now she's in Fortnite. Yeah, um, right. I, I assume that the sequel... The thing that I don't understand for the sequel is what um, Leslie Odom Jr.'s character is going to do and his daughter. Because it's like, you know, like he... Sure, he quote unquote performed a successful exorcism and got the demon out of his daughter, but like their story sort of feels closed. It's like you can't repossess the daughter, so yeah. I'm assuming it's about you know getting Christine back or whatever because the movie doesn't really give you a clarification on whether or not she's dead. But like, I do just assume it's sort of like you know, road trip exorcism avengers where they're gonna go it's, to some other town for like some yeah new haunting thing some new some new reporting or interviews have come out kind of david green casting doubt whether or not he'll be involved with the sequel i i mean i think a fascinating thing would be whether if he was told he was not going to be because of the reception of this film i think that would be fascinating mm -hmm. rather than him kind of leaving on his own terms um I guess, like, this is, this is a dumb question, but, like, who would you want to see do something like this? Like, yeah. like okay, who would you – not, like, do a, a reboot. Like, who would you be like, all right, DGG, you're off the project. We got to – we're giving this to someone else. Who, who do you give it to? I mean, in the Blumhouse family, easy answer for me, James Wan. Would love to see, you know, he kind of made modern exorcism movies already, uh, revitalized some of the interest in that sort of thing. So I, I would love to see his take on the sequel to this, but also like... Can um, you give a different answer? <laughs> Zach Kreger, Barbarian Man. Like his kind of take on where this specific story goes. Because I'm thinking now, like, I don't care who makes a sequel a legacy sequel to the exorcist yeah. <laughs> for this prompt yeah. i'm like who do i want to see make a sequel to this movie this one movie um god i don't know i mean peter jackson would be fun <laughs> yeah martin scorsese uh <laughs> no, peter jackson no i like god is yeah yeah that'd be uh, fucking cool he hasn't made a movie in a minute you know like i'm not as big of a fan of him as other people but jordan peele would probably pop off you don't think so so well here's the thing and like it's an it's a sort of interesting thing that i thought this movie was doing especially when it started in haiti um but like you know uh <laughs> the not delicate way to say this is like don't make uh the black exorcist you know what i mean kind of like you know they do that with these franchise things sometime where they're like hey we're doing a modern remake which means like the family that gets haunted this time yeah. is a black family yeah. and we're going to talk about those sorts of things um i wouldn't want to see that, that movie and i like you know to this movie's credit doesn't really deal with that too much is just sort of like this is a family and this is yeah. the family that we're following i you mean know? like a cliche take i think there's some pretty dumb revisionist history about this individual because i remember how stoked everyone was in 2018 ari aster would pop his little white ass off on this shit i think you know i think it would be like I, hey buddy you're in timeout. 
go make like go prove you can make a good movie okay. still give us Hold a on. give us a competent exorcist uh, sequel and then we'll let you go there was a uh, Bo, there, the Bo is afraid defender is here that movie's fine there was an article just today that uh a24 lost 35 million dollars on that movie and is now looking to make more commercial properties because it Jesus. fucked them so bad so i do think he's getting put in a timeout and yeah. they might have to say I... I mean, I think Hereditary is a better Exorcist movie than this movie. Uh, uh, I mean, for sure. Again, there's some revisionist history about that movie. I remember what y'all were saying in 2018. That's a good movie. What's uh, a good movie? I mean, if I'm opening it up... Oh, what's his name? What's his name? The, the I think the Talk To Me Boys would, would have fun with it. Like... Sure, sure. The Filippo brothers. If I'm, You've gotta... if I'm opening it up to non-English speaking directors, uh, Na Hong Jin, Jin. I'm, I'm sorry if I'm not pronouncing that right. But the director of The Wailing, the South Korean director, sure. uh, The Wailing is this, more, the scariest movie I've seen in the last ten years of my fucking life. Uh, he would Kyle Edward Ball. No. 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 <laughs> no. Someone would be possessed by Reddit. It'd be a Redditor who gets possessed. No. That'd be that'd be more interesting than this one. The Exorcist Redditor. <laughs> the Exorcist the, the Exorcist Reddit, sink pisser. The Redditist. The 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 poster the possessed poster. Uh if I'm writing an Exorcist movie first scene, little kid gets possessed, pisses in a sink. Here's the thing. They're like, you can't do that. I dread ever going back and listening to the Skinnamarink episode because I feel like I was too positive <laughs> on that movie. Oh, see, I would have been, I would have been, I would have been up your ass if you were more negative uh, on that movie. Um, yeah, that's who I'm going to say. Na Hong Jin of the Wailing okay. Fame. Uh, do you remember we give? Do you, you got any obligations today? You got any worthy? No. Okay, cool. I'm going to see Resident Evil Retribution in 3D at 9.30 p.m. Ooh, that's a good movie. Wait, is that the one I like? Oh, I know. Yeah, that's the best one. That's five. No, no. You like the desert one. Three like is four. the best one. Three. Three. Extinction. Yeah. Three. Um. Okay, before we do our final recos, what have you been seeing lately? We haven't really talked about movies in the past three months. What are you seeing? Oh, yeah, I guess so. I'm pulling up my, um, I'm pulling up my diary. Diary of Jane. Dude. Wish I was seeing Breaking Benjamin. Okay. Uh, okay, I mean, so in terms of, of of kind of recent stuff within this realm, uh, I watched... Not within this realm, just, just anything. Anything interesting. Okay. Um, the Boogeyman was pretty good. Oh. That was like a. I thought that trailer was pretty good, and then I like didn't know that the movie had come out, so I watched it at home recently, and it's like a very serviceable. Like that's that movie's what this movie should have been, yeah. In that it's just like a kind of big budget mainstream horror movie where like <laughs> you're not offended watching it. Doesn't like change your life, but you're just like you know what that was a good hundred minutes. Yeah. I felt a little scared at sometimes. There were cool, creepy creatures. Mm -hmm. I liked the characters. I was interested in what happened to them. That's what a movie should do. Uh, the Empty Man I rewatched recently, which oh, cool. I feel like yeah, we're yeah. gonna have to do. We're gonna have to do an episode on that one recent uh, eventually. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I rewatched a bunch of fucking Saws. Saw X is so good. You saw Saw. Definitely. I rewatched Saw. What? I rewatched Saw 1. Yeah. That's cool. I was into it. Probably the best one besides Saw X, maybe. Saw X might be the best Saw movie ever made. Holy shit. I might go see it. Uh, um, yeah. We haven't we haven't really talked since Demon Lover. So I saw Smile. Pretty cool. Again, like kind of I like Smile more than The Boogeyman, but that's the movie I'm talking about that's just like, you know what? Show me some scary images, make me think a little bit, and then send me home. Yeah. Um, I watched some stuff. I watched that kids documentary. Oh, yeah. Pretty dumb. Um, I watched 2LDK. Not good. Rewatched The Vengeance Trilogy. That was pretty cool. Rewatched The Parks. I rewatched Gary Sito. I might rewatch that tonight. It's only the free. Minutes. It's on, you know, you can type it up on YouTube.com. Rewatch Suspirio with Leo. It's pretty cool. I saw Apocalypse Now for the first time. Great movie. Great movie. Have you heard of it? Yeah. What else have you seen? I got a few I, uh, I really want to talk about that I watched within the past week. Okay. Exorcist Connection here. Director of Exorcist to the Heretic, John Borman. Uh-oh. I watched his excalibur recently Let's go. which is one of the most uh visually compelling movies ever made i had to watch a shitty dvd rental copy of it again classic plugging a dvd into my playstation 5 love that feeling on my big you know yeah. oled television to watch a dvd from 1975 or whatever it is but uh that movie's just you know i've been i've been reading a lot of uh, arthurian myth lately for one reason or another you know just classic knights of the round table type shit um i have and excalibur is uh just that whole storyline yeah. in a kind of yeah, yeah. uh psychosexual fever dream uh that movie rocks okay. it's dumb as shit and looks incredible but like fucking awesome time watching that thing oh, yeah. uh, I've, I've i've i recently uh also watched all of the original planet of the apes movies for the very first time i had only seen the first one but i watched all of the sequels mm-hmm. those movies kick ass Hell those yeah. movies rock fuck, they are very good fuck yeah um i saw shin godzilla for the first time another one we're gonna have to do an episode on. unbelievable film Un just fucking one of the best film um i i finally watched terrifier 2 aj okay so i've never seen either of these people love them people go nuts for this shit terrifier 1 a movie i could not get through i don't even think i made it halfway through the movie i was so fucking more like uh terrifier no fun yeah i thought it was so bad that like i just could not handle it terrifier 2 though this shit comes out people are talking it up the gore you can't believe it and i'm like this movie is over two hours long. Art the Clown. But finally, it's 138 minutes long. Finally, I'm like, you know what? I didn't like Terrifier 1, but the way people are talking about Terrifier 2, I gotta watch it. AJ, this is the most goddamn boring movie I've ever seen in my fucking life. There are a couple good gore scenes, but they're like quite literally an hour apart. I I felt like I was like... Drinking crazy juice. It's... I can't comment one way or another because I haven't seen them. I'll watch them. Eventually. I, I think would... they're going to make it. That movie did like. So the thing about Terrifier yeah, 2. Yeah, they're unbelievably successful. Is like, yeah, it was on this crazy. It was the sound of freedom of its time, <laughs> which was just a, tr- a true, genuine word of mouth hit. Yeah. Uh, about 
a pedophile clown. I don't know what the connection was. I, a lot of people went to see it. I would I would call this movie excruciatingly boring. There is a extremely good gore scene though. Uh deep into the movie. I'm going to have to watch it. I'm going to have to watch them both eventually. I've been meaning to. Uh but they're on, they're on like fucking Fubo. No, I, or I watched it on Am- TV. I watched it on Amazon. Okay. Amazon Prime, I think. Out. I would think I watched it for free. Thank you, Jeff. Yeah. Uh I also watched rewatched Cure. Literally just like top I've heard top it, I've heard 20, of it. I don't know, top 50 greatest movie of all time. Uh saw Jacob's Ladder for the first time. Pretty cool. Uh, not my thing. Okay, but the movie I want to talk. Oh, I also watched Brutal. Pretty cool. Heard of this thing? Micro budget, extreme Japanese film. Pretty cool. Uh, it's on Tubi. It's like an hour long. I recommend it. It's fucking nasty. You know how I feel about Tubi. I love Tubi, dude. Tubi or not Tubi, I'm ride or die with them. Watched R100. Synopsis makes it sound way better than it's gonna be, but it's got our boy now Omori in it. Uh, Ichi himself. Okay. Uh, you sent me some pictures of that movie that I was definitely interested in. The title card drop of that film <laughs> is unbelievable. It's 40 minutes into the movie. The, the, look. It's it's not it's a be- long it's the movie. Best thing, it's, like, it's the best thing a movie can ever do. Uh, the longer you wait to drop that title card, the more I like your movie. The movie is 100 minutes long. And it drops the title card 40 minutes in. I lost my mind. Uh, okay, I'm sorry. I'm running long. You got any more here? Because I got uh, one, I want to, I like, I want to talk, talk about real quick. Uh, I, I find okay. So I watch some short films. These are films okay. that are short, uh, short, <laughs> not very long. Uh, my boy Wes Anderson dropped some on Netflix. These are uh, Roald Dahl yeah, yeah. adaptations. Yeah, it's four. One's forty minutes. The other three are fifteen minutes. Here's the thing. Um, they're incredible. They're some of the best stuff Wes Anderson has ever done. I genuinely don't understand why they didn't just package them all together uh, as an anthology yep. film like the french dispatch like i think the french dispatch would have worked better if all of those were individually cut out oh, and wow. kind of okay. like presented as one package and i think this like i, I mean i loved it i'm not trying yeah, to yeah. like armchair direct here but like uh ray fines appears in all of them kind of they don't say it but like he's playing role doll and is like narrating yep. the stories and so i think i think like you add all of that up it's like 75 minutes i think if they filmed like a 10 minute scene of ray fines being like i'm roll doll and here's what i do and put that out as just a wes anderson roll doll anthology movie it would be one of the best things i've seen all year um and then i watched the two recent pedro almodovar short films mm. who's one of the best directors of all time um and one was the tilda swinton covid thing mm-hmm. uh that is like her having a conversation uh with a dead guy uh, over the phone. And so it's still this went acting with a dog and a pair of AirPods. And it's just like, she's the best. What do you yeah. do? She's one of the best living actors. Of, uh, I was going to say one of the best living actors of all time. One of the best living actors that we have. Right. So that one rocked. Um, Her and Ellen Burstyn. That's right. And then the one that is like brand new is the, it's called strange way of life. That one's the Tilda Swinton one's the human voice. This one's strange way of life. And they're like both, you can go to the theater right now and you'll see both of them together. Nice. And it's like 75 minutes total. But this is uh, Ethan Hawke and Pedro Pascal Ooh. gay cowboy oh. short film uh, by oh. our friends at Yves Saint Laurent. So, you know, oh. you know how I feel about that. Uh, and oh. uh, it sucked. It was very disappointing. Oh. 
it's just like you should have made a real movie because it's extremely rushed. Mm. It's an interesting story, interesting characters, but it's just like What's... everybody's talking so fast and they're like, yeah, there's nothing really here. What's up with St. Laurent getting into movies? I don't. You know what? G- fucking go nuts. Yeah. Pay cool filmmakers yeah. to make awesome shit. Uh, maybe just give them more money so they can make full movies. Yeah. Um, and then also recently watched the movie everybody's talking about. No one will save you on Hulu, oh. the alien invasion movie, and I found it pretty boring. Oh, well, I'll probably <laughs> it, skip it. It's then. it's very cool mm-hmm. uh, in its construction because it is kind of like this wordless horror movie right. about an alien invasion, and there's some good like alien invasion action in it. But uh, the ending is really weird, and I don't think I like kind of what it ends up being about and has a very defeatist outlook uh and kind of just like left me uh not liking it by the end okay uh i want to talk about this movie cat sick blues that's right a movie we are almost certainly gonna watch on this podcast uh this directed by dave jackson who we've talked about on this podcast before because he's the host of show me something wrong which we used as a big reference point for our uh Shozen Fukui episode on 964 and uh, Suto. Uh This is one of his films. Dude, it fucking rocks. It's I love the uh, I love the kind of tagline summary. Yeah, uh, it, it, it's it's about a dude who's having a mental breakdown. His cat dies, and he is convinced if he kills nine people, he can bring his cat back. It is literally it's it's directed by someone who is as like just demented as can be in terms of like the movies they watch like this film is fucking revolting but it goes hard like dave jackson is clearly like i i hope he finds success as a director because i think with an actual budget this dude would make really really interesting movies that's not to downplay this one this is a really interesting movie but i think like if he could find a break a big break he would make some really really cool shit um this movie you know, it has some stumbles. It it has a pretty big rape plot that I think it is wholly uninterested in doing anything worthwhile with. I you know, I don't fundamentally disagree with sexual assault being in a film. I think if you do it, you gotta do something interesting with it. This film absolutely does not. I think it's completely superfluous to the entire film, aside from uh you have to watch a girl get raped and then throughout the film she'll say, I was raped and it's like, okay. But like it is a very strange madcap journey into pet trauma and the love of animals. I am a deep animal lover. I love all God's creatures except for bugs and birds. And David Gordon <laughs> Green. David Gordon Green. There is a scene in this movie I am thinking about so- every day. The song from a scene in this film has been stuck in my head for nearly a week now. On its face, it's a pretty simple scene where the guy runs in. He's dressed like a cat. He's got a big old cat prosthetic. We've all we've all done. He's got this. a big old cat prosthetic dick, uh, full of spikes and like uh, uh not, not Elmer Fudd. What's the guy from Nightmare on Elm Street called? Freddy Krueger, like Freddy Krueger, cat claws. You can see how I got Elmer Fudd. Nightmare on Elmer Fudd Street. Um, seems pretty simple. Okay. He runs into a hostel room which has four girls in it. Um, not hostel the movie, but hostel the thing. Uh, there are four girls in it, and he kills them all. But 
and kills them all in bloody fashion. He like stomps one to death. Uh, he sticks his cat prosthetic dick into one's mouth, which cuts it all up. And I was like, that's good shit. I'm here for this. He slices a girl's neck open and blood's got kind of spurting everywhere. Simple shit. But he sets it to like, I don't know the genre, tight dream pop or something like drum and bass, just poppy shit, like really upbeat sounding music, even though the lyrics are really, really dark and about murdering someone. But like, so the thing has like, it feels like something you would see out of like a teen drama where it's like, oh, we're having fun. You know what I'm saying? Is any of this making sense? It does. And, and, I, I can picture it in my mind's eye. And but it's this like horrifically, horrifically violent scene. But it's also in slow motion, so everything just looks beautiful because slow motion just looks so good. And it's set to this like very like this song that doesn't make sense for the scene. AJ, it's so good. It is such a wonderful three minutes of fucking cinema that is like without the song, the scene would be nothing, and without. The scene, the song actually is pretty good. I've been listening to it quite a lot. <laughs> What's the song? Uh, it's called, hold on. I, it should just be right on my Spotify. I've been listening to it so fucking much. Um, oh, it's not here. Oh, here we go. It's the song Repulsion by Mr. Bishi. I will post it in the chat for you. Okay. And just click like 30 seconds in so you can hear what this sounds like. Maybe you'll know what the <laughs> genre is. I don't know what the genre is. Um, but like, and then imagine this to just like the violinist shit you've ever seen. Let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Please load faster. Like give the listeners an artist to compare it to. Oh, okay. Yeah. This is sort of like vaporwave pop yeah, type yeah. stuff. Dude, it sounds like fucking uh, like bed, like bedroom lo-fi almost. Yeah, dude, it's fucking awesome. It's so okay. good. It's so good. I love that movie. Um, Dave Jackson, we should have him on the pod to talk about this movie because I think it's awesome. Come on down. His podcast is awesome. Um, we'll see you for the Exorcist Deceiver. Anyway, Dave, here's my two reckies. Um, the Wailing. Already talked about it. Scariest shit I've seen in the last decade. The with inside the only one of the only horror movies i've ever had to pause because i was <laughs> like it was too much there's a scene in that movie where the sound is so ridiculous i had to pause the film and take like a half an hour break um and then talk to me i thought talk to me was half of a good movie <laughs> for sure the first half uh, yeah. of talk to me goes fucking hard the back half does not but the first half yeah. I, I was like i am 1,000% going to see these directors' next movie. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I had a tough time coming up with recommendations off of this one because it's like, okay, this is a bad movie, so what am I going to do? Say, go watch a bunch of better movies, like watch The Exorcist yeah. 1 and probably all of the sequels because they're probably better. Um, so I'll give one recommendation, and it is uh, a, f- a film that came out this year that's a better Exorcist sequel than The Exorcist Believer, and it's called The Pope's Exorcist. <laughs> It's not very good, but it's better than this one. And you get to hear Russell Crowe do a very funny voice and go, the Pope is my boss. And the Pope says, get the demon out of here. <laughs> Goofy movie. But like, if you want to see how the Exorcist's legacy is still yeah. with us without having to stab Ellen Burstyn in the eyes, you can watch that movie. I got one more. 
Okay. You should see it coming from a mile away. Not, I know what it's going to be. Not my favorite movie starring a very young possessed girl, but probably my second favorite. And it's only 10 minutes long. You can find it on YouTube. Okay. <laughs> called Vomit Terrorist or That's right. Gerarisuto. Uh, by Shosen Fukui. I love that movie so fucking much. It's like, what if we shot a fucking possession film in public? And it goes so hard. It's the coolest shit And you ever. were possessed by puke. Yeah, bro. Uh, also, Exorcism of Emily Rose. Shouts out. That movie fucking rocks. The movie's pretty good. You know what? You oh. know what movie reminded me of Exorcism of Emily Rose recently? Like, I was watching it in the theaters, and I was like, kind of got some Exorcism of Emily Rose vibes. Oppenheimer, <laughs> because okay. the interesting thing about Exorcism of Emily the, like, Rose procedural, yeah, is yeah, it's a horror movie and a courtroom drama. And I was watching mm-hmm. Oppenheimer, and I was like, it's kind of the same thing. So there you go, Christopher Nolan ripped off Exorcism of Emily Rose. That movie's fucking rad. I want to, you know what? And I bet if you sat him down and were like, "Have you seen the Exorcism of Emily Rose?" He'd be like, um, "You know, it's a fantastic film. Uh, Loved it." I, uh, I think, I want to say. The, there was some Kentucky connection to that movie. Jennifer Carpenter. Oh, Jennifer Carpenter, the lead actress, is from Louisville. The town I'm Let's sitting go. in right now. Shouts out to Jennifer Carpenter. Let's go, Emily. Uh, she's fucked up in that movie. There's just the scene where her boyfriend wakes up and she's like contorted on the ground. I don't watch that movie tonight. Anyway, that's it. Movie. That's it. That's all I got. I'm ready to... We'll be back in a month. We're going to watch Brown Bunny. Yeah, we'll fucking see you. We're going to watch Brown Bunny. Finally. Freaks. We'll find a copy of that joint. Oh, I found... It's online. I found it. Okay. We can, we can watch it. I think I found it on the the Internet Archive. <laughs> oh, that rocks. Yeah. Shout out to the Internet Archive. Dude, there's a lot of cool movies on Internet Archive. Hopefully that's still around. That's where I recently watched Muscle by Hisayasu Sato, his gay joint. Oh, and yeah, it was, you sent me that. It was cool. I liked it. Not as much as his other Rock ones, on. but it was cool. Um, anyway, some wild, Bye. some wild sodomy scenes in that movie. I'll tell you what. And you know, that's my favorite kind of sodomy scene. The wild one.